0: Well, it falls to me to greet you one and all and welcome you to this episode and I realize that the term ladies and gentlemen is archaic and outdated and insufficiently inclusive and so in that spirit Welcome bimbos, himbos, and thimbos to Pros and Cons, the Riverdoos and Riverdones Companion podcast, wherein we analyze, discuss, dissect, and generally suffer through the young adult tie-in novels to the Riverdale TV program from CW, which are in fact written by one mad genius, McCall, out. I am one of your hosts, Rob, joined by your other host, Quinn. And we're going to continue with Riverdale. Get out of town with chapters 12, 13, and 14. We're finally at Shadow Lake. We're finally at the point where the plot of the goddamn book can start. And oh boy, does it not.
1: No, you were a fool if you thought things were going to kick off at page 132.
0: This is not even my final form, Ostow. Crows defiantly, uh, the the blood running down her face from the battle, uh, suddenly just sublimating into smoke as she uh, unfurls luminous, uh, horrible wings. It's It's something else. It truly is. But again, there's just nothing for us to do but just to go through it and try to divine the secret messages herein, to transmit them to our victims, our listeners, and see if we can make some sense of anything. We can't, but it's existentialism. There is value in the doing. There's value in the trying. We have decided that this is our mission, and that is its own value.
1: Indeed. This is our noble it's not a resignation because we've looked at all that lies before us and we have instead decided that this is our calling this is our duty this is our labor and if nothing else we will do it with purpose and dignity with that said let's look at chapter 12
0: <laughs> yeah sadly we did the camus sisyphus thing last episode so we can't just do it again yeah i can't but just spin those wheels yeah i can't that we've we've pushed that rock already so Yeah, let's get into it. Chapter 12, Jughead. Jughead starts out by observing that Archie, as the archetypal all-American good boy, is not cut out for this quote, Film noir, anti-hero existence. Briefly summarizing Archie's precipitous character arc from season two. It's a good start, Ostow style, to just, here, let's talk about the TV show a little bit, why not? And I, I have a question for you, Rob. Yeah.
1: There's something in here that I think is a typo, and I understand typos get through. Um, That just happens. It's a thing. I don't sure. think that people should be treated as being intellectually inferior or whatever for typos. But I noticed this one. Unless I'm mistaken, and this is a valid way or even a common way of saying this phrase uh, or spelling this phrase, but she did spell milkshake with a space in it between milk and shake. Hmm. Yeah, that's awful weird. Archie was milkshakes football and guitar. I don't... Yeah, that's, uh... The only other reading I can take away from this is that milkshakes are what you get when you've had sex but you are denied your postcoital milk and so you begin to develop a tremor. Oh,
0: yeah, it's like a... It's like the DTs. Like, you're... You're having, like, serious physical withdrawal. Yeah. We did learn from season two of Riverdale that post milk is an important part of the uh, a healthy regimen, I suppose, you mm-hmm. might say. That's a very astute observation, Quinn. Jughead describes the eponymous Shadow Lake, the actual lake, as, and I quote, pooling at the base of the valley like liquid mercury or some kind of portal. <laughs> First off... It's weird that you say liquid mercury because you literally have to freeze mercury to make it not a liquid. Yes. So that's a little bit redundant, but like, some kind of portal? Portals are things that pool at the base of things? What, what is he saying? I don't know, unless
1: that is related. It's like, it has either pooled itself at the base of the valley in the way that liquid mercury does, or the lake looks like some kind of portal, Sands the pooling.
0: Um, no, but there's never, like, the verb looking or appearing or seeming or anything like that. No, there's not. It's pooling like a portal, according to the sentence. So, portals are liquid. I think she's just saying it looks like the- just looks like the Stargate. Oh, that could be it. Like, that's literally it. Like, she's just making a Stargate reference, maybe without even knowing it. Anyway... We then go on a total non-sequitur half-page recap of the Dilton Doily-Ben-and-Ethel-Gargoyle-King situation just for no reason. It would be nice to fantasize, Jughead thinks. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could do something with that club I started. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I'm under stress, therefore it would be nice to have an escapist fantasy. Oh, like those other characters from earlier in the book, from that side plot. Let's talk about them for half a page. Okay, I'm done now. (laughs) Like, thank you. Another amazing quote is uh, Veronica had an attitude that was really aggressively upbeat. Like, this trip was going to be productive, maybe even fun at all costs, even if it killed us. And he says, any other kids, other town, other lifetime, that would be hyperbole. And here's where it gets great. But hyperbole was a luxury we couldn't afford. Our very existence had become hyperbole. Classic Jughead line. It kind of is, but it also, like, doesn't mean anything. No,
1: no, it doesn't. Obviously not.
0: We are unable to exaggerate. For our existence itself is exaggeration. Our life is crazy. Like, it just, it is a kind of quintessential Jughead line in that it, like, sounds like it believes it's more profound than it is. Because it, like, ultimately doesn't mean anything. But anyway, they arrive at the Shadow Lake Lodge Lodge, it's cold out, and Jughead says you can just barely see their breath in the air, like, quote, little curly cues of Morse code trailing off into the atmosphere. That thing that Morse code does, form into curly cues. Dots and dashes, Morse code, famously devoid of curved lines of any kind. It's
1: cursive, Morse code.
0: Oh. Uh... Yeah, when you breathe, it's in, yeah, cursive, like, calligraphic Morse code. This is just another instance of, I don't know why sometimes Ostow just decides that there's a word she really, really wants to use, but she does not let little things like it being the right word stand in her way. It's kind of, kind of admirable. Mm -hmm. Jughead then goes on to say that all of them getting to the Lodge Lodge experience deja vu, but specifies that it is actual deja vu. Not just perceived deja vu, because they have actually been to Lodge Lodge before. And buddy, that's not what deja vu is. That's just going to the same place twice. Perceived deja vu as like a specific category is nonsense, because deja vu is literally a perception. Yes. What he refers to, yes, as actual deja vu is going a place you've been before. Every day I
1: come home and am beset by deja vu.
0: But not perceived déjà vu. Real, deja actual déjà vu. I have to just read the end of the chapter. Like, just the very, very end of it, because the insane goosebumpsness of this false twist, false cliffhanger nonsense <sighs> is so good. She stepped to unlock the door. Everything happened very quickly after that, and yet it also felt like time slowed to half speed. I felt Betty's fingers clamp into my forearm before I processed what was happening. She gripped me like a vice. What the hell? Archie began. That was when Veronica started to scream. That, that's the end of the chapter, except there are some, some text messages, but that's the end of the you know narrative here. Something happens, but we're ending the chapter and not... We're suspending the beat of the plot. Six pages was
1: too much. You gotta take a rest. Sit down.
0: We then get some text messages. Sweet Pea assures Penny Peabody that he has, quote, got someone, and Penny Peabody demands to be, quote, hooked up. Uh, so we're continuing this, like, incredibly miserly drip feed of development on whatever this tangential plot is this plot line whatever it might be uh but that's it for the chapter so it's time for chapter 13 which is a veronica chapter veronica discovers that she is the one screaming like she doesn't initially realize that and she's screaming because there's a pile of dead birds with their necks broken sitting on the doormat now that is extremely gnarly and kind of an escalation for these books, but I don't think that I know a single person over the age of like eight who would just full-on blood-curdling scream like that for several seconds in a row when they saw that. No,
1: there might be there might be a scream, <gasps> like a loud scream, potentially depending on how a yelp, perhaps, shocked someone is, or a
0: small sharp shout, but probably just a gasp. Uh, it's almost Quinn as though the scream was a device to create extra false tension at the end of a chapter and not actually super realistic but shit what do i know and the
1: thing is i can just start reading it's it's so
0: fast this isn't an episode where we have to wait a week no it's on the next page like you immediately say ah this wasn't really anything on the like which is again this is what made me think of goosebumps because like half of the chapters in those books are more are this
1: And, like, that might be a signed reading, and you only have to, like, you're only reading however many chapters at a time. So I can get that. And, like, I I think that they're...
0: Well, and R.L. Stein was specifically writing for younger kids than this book is supposed to be. Like, like in case we need to remind you, these characters constantly be fucking. Right. (laughs) Like,
1: this isn't for eight-year-olds. No, it's not. And there's this interesting, rather... And there's a time-honored tradition that does exist within fiction of cliffhangers... And of those coming at the end of chapters, that has a lot to do with the publishing format of a lot of these novels back in their day, being published in a weekly format, like the Dickensian right. like format.
0: Yeah, no, you gotta you gotta do a cliffhanger when you're doing a serialized release, and yep.
1: I can understand, even then, cliffhangers can be fun to end chapters on. But when you've
0: just done six pages, and you're like, boom, here's a cliffhanger. Well, in the very least, like, cliffhangers are more effective if you have multiple points of view that are, like, doing different parts of the story. So that, like, you do a cliffhanger, and then the person has to read some stuff that's not just instantly subverting the tension of the cliffhanger for a while first. Right, it's supposed to keep you holding
1: your metaphorical breath.
0: But here it's just like, nah, it was fine. It was gross or whatever, but, like, it wasn't as bad as it sounded. Right. Is the very first thing they do. So, in
1: this realization of the screaming, the second, or the third paragraph, rather, of this chapter is quite interesting to me. In terms of the way that you process stuff when scary shit's happening, which is to say, not probably like this. (laughs) Uh, That paragraph is, I was screaming hysterically. Like, I completely lost my mind and Archie wrapped himself around me. Okay, that's fine. Then it gets weird. I could smell the woodsy scent of the shampoo he used. So everyday sexy and reassuring. Normal. It tethered me back to the real world. Just barely. Like, I feel like that's amusing that you probably aren't having when you're, like, ankle-deep in Dead
0: Crow. I think in Riverdale, maybe it's appropriate. In real life, it's super not. But like, the fact that this just became like a Dr. Squatch natural soap commercial for just a brief second there is actually kind of perfect for, uh, for Rupert I do
1: think that the phrase everyday sexy and reassuring is fucking hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really excellent. I'm glad you picked up on that, because like, I, I didn't, it didn't grab me the first time through and it super should have. So all of these crows, they note, are quite large. <laughs> and Jughead jokes. I hate this. <laughs> Jughead jokes that he hopes the bird murderers, or if you'll indulge me, Quinn, murderers, yes. paid by unit and not by weight. Okay, Jughead, what the fuck? <laughs> Imagine being in this situation Um, and then imagine saying this shit.
1: Imagine with having no prior information established about your character knowing stuff about birds, just off the top of your head, knowing what the average crow size is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's also definitely And I think a that thing. I have, like, less contention with that. I think that's essentially some CinemaSins-type bullshit. But when he starts talking about picking them by unit and not weight, <laughs> like, it just it starts suspend, sending these questions running through my head. I'm like, why do you know how big a crow is supposed to be? How do you know that these are particularly large specimens? Why would you make that observation? <laughs> I It
0: does call attention to itself. My immediate assumption was, hey, maybe these people hunted local crows. I guess, but... Yeah, the I, I am fucking in love with what happens next, Quinn. They waste some page count here, trying to determine if the creepy twins from the general store could have been the ones behind the burdering. And first off, it's fucking excellent that they spend a bunch of time on it, but what they land on is maybe. <laughs> like, that's real good.
1: If they're in cahoots with the people in the van that may or may not exist, then they might be in cahoots.
0: The way that they land at this conclusion is absolutely breathtaking and worth looking at. They determined that the twins would not have had enough time to stage the gruesome welcome because they only knew that the main four had come into Shadow Lake a couple minutes ago, basically, when they went to the general store. And they would have had to leave the store after the main four did because they didn't see them leaving. Which, even with them, like, speeding like crazy, they would have had to have gotten past them and not been noticed or whatever. It seems quite unlikely. But then they decide that it's possible that the twins were working with a third party possibly the driver of the mysterious ghost van, and could have been tipped off to them coming to Shadow Lake earlier on. Wait a fucking second. Our heroes decide that maybe the van person is involved with the burdering, but then additionally decide that maybe the twins are working with the van person, just for no reason. Fuck off, Occam's Razor. Let's just add extraneous variables to our deductive premises fucking willy-nilly. (laughs)
1: And here's the thing, Rob, if in the situation they lay out, they talk so much about how there simply wasn't enough time, like there likely wasn't enough time, it would have had to be some extraordinary circumstances, which leads me to believe that if they did this, dropped the dead birds and then left before they arrived, these birds were pre-murdered. They couldn't have just killed, so
0: did they just have a big pile of dead birds that they were waiting? And like a turkey baster full of crow blood? Because also, that's not how blood works. There's like a big pool of blood underneath these crows, and like, you don't keep bleeding when you're dead. The fact that blood had pooled under it suggests that they like, had the birds captive and killed them one by one in a controlled way right there on the doorstep which is something that they didn't mention, but that uh, that, maybe that's a little bit uh, nitpicky. But, like, okay, I'm so sorry to be so focused on this, but if the van person's involvement is the premise that they're presupposing, there's literally no need for the twins to be involved. No, no. In this formation, it is literally less likely that the twins are working with the van person than that the van person is working alone, and yet they conclude that this is the case. That they're worried about, like they're like, yes, the twins are working with the person in the van. The van person alone, if that's reasonable, explains the situation, right? But they're like, no, it is also the twins. Just, just cause. So they move on from this quixotic crusade against logic uh, and posit that perhaps the person in the van is Ben because he was at Pops when they hatched their Shadow Lake plans, and maybe he wasn't actually sitting far enough away to not overhear what they said. So they are just going on, adding more like improbabilities to it. It's unbelievable.
1: Like, I understand and I can see how it's like a very teenager thing to do to start spinning up this wild conspiracy. But like nobody steps in and says what? And and it's just sort of treated by the text so far as being like normal.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's well, and it's treated by the text as though like these are our smart protagonists figuring out what's going on mm-hmm. when they're literally just spouting nonsense. Hell, why not Pop Tate then? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, because he's wholesome and an icon and clearly not involved with that. Like The only thing he does is he wants to burn teenagers to death, if you remember <laughs> Wait, from season two. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> we conclude the chapter with ominous text messages that fucking just... Killed me. I I was
1: so mad. Everything about this is so fucking hilarious. The last message that gets sent doesn't need to be there. And the fact that it is in the formatting that it has, has me just spinning.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it is. It is absolutely shocking. So I'll just read the exchange real quick and then we'll get into it. Unknown ID 1, I should say. ID unknown 1. They just pulled up. ID unknown 2. Have they seen it? ID unknown 1 watching now sending images you can pass these along up the chain separate message 1.jpg 2.jpg 3.jpg okay in the plot what we get from this is that there are people reporting to each other real time on the main four characters position and activities like it's it's they are in fact being watched but we are supposed to believe that these people saved their own motherfucking names as Unknown ID 1 and Unknown ID 2. Right.
1: it's like, okay, so who is the perspective? Like, this would appear, based on the formatting, to be ID Unknown 1's phone. Unless it's, like, some weird third-person omniscient narrator's phone who sometimes has the phone numbers of the people who are talking and sometimes does not? <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not how the fucking text message format works. And and I, I'm i sorry to be stern, but this warrants a use of your full name. Nicole James Cuthbert Ostow, you're in trouble. This is actually worse than the end of last chapter in terms of pure cheapness, because there is no reason that these people's names are not here, except that she doesn't want us to know I, them.
1: That's it. So here's here's two quick and easy options. For dealing with this in a way that would be believable in terms of the exchange, do what they've been doing with Penny Peabody, which is just give initials. And so it's like, sure. oh, that could be any number of people, I guess. And like, I don't think that we got people even like full- code names. And that was my second suggestion is to give people
0: either code names or nicknames. That's all fine, but this is fucking garbage. And I love the fact that there's actually, as you pointed out, the message that's just the text of like little links to image files. Because that's like that's only there for formal verisimilitude and yet the names make no fucking sense. So why are you even
1: trying? And if it's there for formal verisimilitude, I would expect it to just populate. I would like if I were looking at that on my phone, I'd be like, Oh, the image Yeah. It should just pop the the images into
0: that would be hard.
1: And and so, yeah, why did they name them 1.jpg, 2.jpg, 3.jpg? Because I don't think that any phone that I know of...
0: No, it'll be like 900 digits.
1: Right, like, just because that's the way that it gets like, sorted and stored in a phone, like, the first picture you take isn't going to be called 1.jpeg. No. So that means they would have had to take the images and then save them as 1.jpeg, 2.jpeg, and 3.jpeg before
0: sending them out. And then, like, put them on Google Drive or some shit and send share links, like, hyperlinks on the text message so that you just get the link rather than the image itself. That's what happened. That's what we are expected to believe. It sure is. There's a chain for things to be passed up, though. Yeah, that's the important part. (sighs) If that felt like we went quick, it's because, like, nothing fucking happened.
1: No, she decided that she was going to do one scene per chapter, and those scenes were going to be unloading a car and stepping on some birds.
0: (laughs) Yes. There's no reason for this to be two chapters at all. Like, none whatsoever. And I actually think that if we looked at a survey of like the entire book there may be a couple things like because she has changed perspective mid-chapter plenty of times yes so I think what happened is if we looked there's probably a couple more instances of something like this and she just wanted to squeeze like one or two extra pages of white space out and took subheadings within chapters and made them their own chapters could be after the fact to hit a certain page benchmark or something that's the only thing I can think of but maybe we're ascribing motive to chaos too like we might be we might be fools, Quinn. Right. And so chapter 14
1: that we're about to start though is oh weird. Oh my god. It's formally very strange for a bunch of reasons. And I want to say up top as we start reading this, it almost reads to me like it was at least the first part of this was written like each each section because it flips sections super fast. It's like a camera shot. Yeah. It feels there's like...
0: so many little line breaks. And so
1: it feels like they're each like every time the camera moves, every time we're cutting to a different Perspective. Yeah, because it's all one fucking scene. It is, it is all one scene.
0: It's one fucking scene, but there's so many line breaks, like so many scene breaks in it. One, two, three, four, five, six. There's, so, and like only the sixth one is justified because then we go into a flashback.
1: Well, and that's in the first
0: ten pages of the chapter. Right. And this is then a then long we do chapter, the by the way. Giant fucking flashback. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Jesus Christ. I will say, I think this is my least favorite chapter of any of the Austoverse books so far, because I feel the most insulted by it. There is... there's something in here that I,
1: I wish was good that, like, hints at something that could have been interesting, but ultimately I'm left very cold by
0: the whole thing. This is a level of wasting my time that even everything before this hasn't quite gotten to.
1: And with the two chapters that came before, it's like, okay, you're wasting my time by just like blasting out these snippets. And then she's like, slow it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's get into how this happens. Veronica determines that they need to assess the security camera situation more selectively now that it's possible that they're being watched. Archie agrees, internally vowing to catch whoever is stalking them. And, uh, Archie, if you do catch someone who was stalking you, Whilst you try to gather evidence for a murder trial in which you are the defendant, who are you planning on turning these people in to? I have no idea. You want to go talk to the cops, Arshi? Like, anyway, that's, that's a small nitpick, but anyway... We then go on a half page of Archie just saying the fact that the place looked normal creeped him out. Because violence happened there before, but now it's clean. And so that's creepy to him. He even goes into an internal, of course the lodges have a cleaning service come in once in a while. Then Veronica gets his attention and he chides himself for spacing out psyching himself up with an internal game on. I don't know why this this like little tiny bit stuck out to me so much, but the purity of pointlessness here is amazing. This section has a line break on either side of it yeah. as well, which we pointed out, they're doing way too many of those. So it's just kind of a perfect little, like, gem. Perfect hardened little gem of nothing to take up over half of a page. Archie literally makes one tiny point about the scene, but But it gets stretched into half a page with him, like, thinking about why he thinks that and thinking about how other people think about him thinking about it. And Jesus Christ. And
1: there's this thing that happens here where they're going in to deactivate an alarm quickly. Yes. And I don't know how much experience Archie has with deactivating alarms. I don't know how much experience you have, Rob, with deactivating alarms. But in my time, anytime I've ever had to deactivate an alarm... My body goes into panic mode. Like, I am not going to be spacing out while I need to get to the alarm. I am going to, like, with shaking hands, try to make my way to the security box as fast as I can. Oh, don't worry.
0: We still do that. We just waste a bunch of fucking time first. And so, like, that
1: to me is the sensation that I get when deactivating an alarm not no it's bizarre i'm spacing out and thinking about the cleaners who must come through here that's for after your heart stops
0: pounding and chiding myself for being spaced out yeah there's just no immediacy at all the stairway to the cellar is described as quote having mimicked the archway and the great room fireplace it is a stairway... Okay, I could see, like, it mimics the archway. You, like, you could say that, like, the archway into the room is somehow similar to some sort of, like, feature above the doorway of the stairs. Right. But, like, how are a stairway and a fireplace similar? Maybe it's identical stonework? I don't know. It's just... It's it's too specific without being detailed, right? Yeah, it raises questions. You're evoking a visual relationship between things without establishing the visual. So it's just, like, frustrating. Absolutely. I have to point out, we do get to that scene that I alluded to that like, oh, you're having trouble putting in the passcode because it's stressful. And there is this like perfectly Veronica dialogue that actually hits the Riverdale tone really, really well. And I'm just going to read it out here. She kind of goes and tries to put it in. Oh, fuck. My birthday didn't work. And then is going to try it again. And so it doesn't work. It flashes red. Veronica says, Shush, I must have missed a number. I thought my nerves were steady, but I guess none of us are completely immune to the psychological fallout of such a high-stakes scenario. She puts the number in again, and it's fine. It flashes green It this is time. perfectly Riverdale. This overly verbose overly self expository just I am saying in clinical language the way that I feel and what I am currently motivated by it was perfectly Veronica it was real good then the lights go out power shuts off Veronica and Archie just immediately start making out (laughs) and doing a season one walk-and-talk style processing of the emotional stakes of their present character arcs. Like, fuck the story. Like, let's talk about our feelings and how we're doing right now.
1: Like, on the one hand, the stuff that Veronica says is like, okay, that kind of makes sense for, like, a downbeat, and maybe not even in a story, just, like, for a conversation between (laughs) two people to be like, yeah, I I totally understand. Like, it's okay that you're traumatized.
0: But it's like the characters have forgotten that they are in an immediate situation. Right. They're just like, oh, well, lights are out. Might as well just uh, take our time. They're like birds. Like the lights go out so they think it's nighttime. (laughs) Like the lights are out so they forget that they're in the plot of a novel that ostensibly has tension in it.
1: And they don't bring up why they feel this lack of immediacy for like another page or
0: two. Oh, God. No, it's amazing. But (sighs) lights are out. What's more, they are locked in the cellar due to an automatic mechanism that in the event of a power failure makes a makeshift panic room of the cellar locking it. This is very dumb. It's hilarious. What if you're not in the cellar when the power goes out? What if you'd like to get into the cellar for well, something yeah. after the power goes out? What if you're in the cellar but don't want to be when the power goes out?
1: What if some of you are in the cellar and some of you aren't?
0: A panic room that has no input from the panic person ...is pretty fucking useless. It's more like a fucking, like, Vincent Price movie trap... right. ...than it is...
1: The thing is... ...a security feature. I imagine, based on everything we know about Hiram Lodge's character at this point... (laughs) ...that this isn't a panic room in the traditional sense... What it is, is a room where Hiram clearly seems to anticipate that if the power goes out, he will be the one in the cellar. Uh And if any sort of like hooligans or hoodlums are invading the house, he simply intends to sacrifice his wife and daughter.
0: I love that reading. That's very good. Like clearly I'll be in my office. And those two could fend for themselves. We've seen it. Right.
1: Like, (laughs) if you want to try to tie it to a character motivation or justification... That's what I have. It still doesn't make
0: sense. No, it's still bad even from a selfish perspective because he could just have a fucking button he presses. Right. But. but we have this. No, so they're stuck. And like, this is where I get start getting mad because the the actual reason that it's automatic and there's no input and you can't override it is so that we can waste way more pages than we otherwise could without moving the plot well, forward. So
1: I almost get the sense coming into this chapter and into this scenario That Ostow was like, we've been moving at a clip lately. Like, we've been moving so fast. I think it's time that we take it slow, slow down a little bit, and, like, have a reflective beat. And I'm like, nothing has happened. There's nothing to sit and reflect on, which shows out in the content here. We don't need to slow down. I need anything to start happening.
0: Yeah, well, something does, because they talk about their feelings some more after discussing the particulars of the panic room mechanism. Uh, They talk about their feelings some more, then they fuck. I mean, it's fade to black, but they 100% definitely fuck. Yes, for a few
1: minutes, we didn't talk anymore.
0: And uh, then, yeah, as I said, it's fade to black, so there's another line break. Then they just talk about their feelings some more. It's fucking... And Veronica brings up Reggie's shitty behavior at the party, because... Writing about that party four fucking times wasn't enough. It's it's absolutely
1: wild. It doesn't make any sense. The, I don't know, when I was a teenager, I wasn't really fucking. So I don't know if that's a teenager thing to do, to just be having a conversation, stop, have sex, and then immediately pick up where you left off. But I don't, I don't think know. so. I don't think it's- that's how people work.
0: Here's the thing. They're in this, like, solve our own crime. Maybe someone's coming to kill us. Maybe Hiram Lodge is trying to spy on us or might be informed about the power outage or informed about the alarm system being disarmed situation. I feel like they have things to worry about, but here we go. Like... Honestly, it's like they have sex just so that they can talk about having sex before having sex, have a line break in place of sex, and talk about having had sex afterwards. Again, it's a half page. So there you go. But yeah, we're, we're for the fifth time, we're talking about Reggie's party now. And we, so we have to stop the action at Shadow Lake where the plot is threatening to happen. Can't have that. Let's relitigate Reggie's party. And like, they talk about how even if Reggie was a dick, he's clearly really just focused on Josie. And then... There's a line that I just fucking don't understand and I was wondering if you have any perspective on. Uh The key here is Josie. She's the one he's always trying to get to, not me. No matter what he said to you tonight. That was just Reggie being Reggie, says Veronica. Still, Archie points out, there's always collateral. She was silent, thinking. She couldn't exactly argue the point. What? <laughs> I can argue that point extremely easily. What the fuck do you mean? There's always collateral. That is apparently somehow being framed as a point of contention that Archie has with Josie's... Like, so, so wait a minute. Yeah, so Archie is contesting Veronica's claim that Reggie is only interested in Josie by saying there is always collateral. This is just nonsense. This isn't what words mean. This doesn't refer to anything. I genuinely can't understand what this is trying
1: to mean, unless she's talking about collateral in the sense of, like, collateral damage, which has certainly come to mean, like, chaotic, like, stray fire. But even then, what does
0: that mean? So, perhaps... The fact that Reggie is focused on Josie somehow through a process of collateral damage still has an impact on Archie and Veronica? Or if Archie is put away, then
1: Veronica is liable to become collateral damage emotionally in Reggie's conquest for Josie? It
0: is not
1: clear. No, but Veronica can't argue the point.
0: Yeah, I I particularly love where like something that makes no fucking sense is said, but then they have a character react like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's like they're they're just it's just such a powerful bluff. You're like gaslighting the reader into thinking that what you wrote made sense. There's,
1: let me propose to you a quick rewrite here, Rob. Sure, sure. Let's Still, see I pointed out there's always collateral. She was silent, thinking. So was I. That wasn't a very funny joke. Ha ha. <laughs> Yes, Uh, I'm almost surprised that didn't happen here. It just, those seem to be the two reactions to nonsense being said.
0: Yeah, a character pretending it makes sense or like, yeah, humiliation kink. Archie then reflects on the Reggie Josie situation which takes him into flashback font where we do this extended flashback about a mononucleosis outbreak that took place during a fucking high school theater production. We've hit the big red flashback button mid-chapter to allow a lengthy digression of thought about fucking nothing. And, like, that's not even getting into why the fuck was Archie involved in a production of The Crucible. He's already doing, like, football and crime and music and, like, he was not in the fucking drama club. He was not in a fucking production. That is not a thing that happened. No. Ostow, I don't believe you for a fucking second. No,
1: it, what's weird about this, though, is that it leads you to believe for a second in this 14-page short story she has written here.
0: Yeah, it's 14 fucking pages. We're not joking.
1: That she is almost capable of stringing together, like, a plot. Like, there's almost a plot that happens here. There's almost, like, a structured story. But then, at the end, it isn't? Like, things yep. happen, at least. Things happen in a way that they haven't been happening for this book.
0: But, oh, okay. So again, just like the formal insult to the idea of moving the plot of this story is so breathtaking because they were going to Shadow Lake, but there was a power outage that locked them in a room away from the action of the plot. And so they started just talking about their feelings and having sex. But then we needed to go into a flashback during that lull in the action to artificially extend its runtime before the plot comes back. Okay, so there's a mononucleosis outbreak during the preparation for a production of the Crucible. Weatherby announces that there is an outbreak on the PA. Everyone needs to go see the nurse and get tested uh, and be quarantined to the gym if they have mononucleosis until the end of the day. Okay, there's a lot of things to get into here. First off, mono is tested for with blood tests. I fucking doubt a high school has a giant stockpile of mononucleosis blood tests. And using them in this instance is obviously complete madness. And like, okay, you have mono. We're not sending you home. We're sticking you in the gym until the end of the school day. Accomplishing nothing. It, it truly doesn't get anything done. No. Also... It is very important- plus, it's it's the kissing disease, it's a body fluids thing, like, putting them all in a place isn't gonna affect anything, it's about what you're drinking and eating from, really. But then also, it's important to note that the nurse they need to see for their, like, mysteriously available blood tests is named Nurse Shapely? Which is not only a low-hanging, stupid name, I have to point out, this is not an Archie Comics thing. This is a character from one single Three Stooges bit from 1946. What? Nurse Shapely, she slaps one of them in the face. I looked it up because it's like such a stupid name that I assumed it somehow must have come from the Archie Comics, but it actually comes from 1946, Three Stooges. Sketch. Yep. They also suspend all after-school activities. No one in this chapter knows how mononucleosis spreads. They are just throwing pandemic fiction tropes just all over the place. And I
1: guess as people who are living through like an actual pandemic
0: right now, it's a it's a weird time to be reading this. Yeah. This was written before. Yeah, but they don't know what mono no. is. They call it the kissing disease in the text, but then they act like it's an airborne super pathogen. And also at the same time is only communicated by kissing. So Cheryl needs to know anyone who anyone has kissed. (laughs) Oh yeah. We haven't even gotten into that yet, but like it's bad enough that we have to quarantine people, but only till the end of the school day. Then they're free to go. Like it's just, it doesn't make sense. Like either it's bad enough that you need to quarantine. It's not, or it isn't, but they split the difference here just to use, some pandemic fiction tropes to no end, like to no effect. Also, I don't know if you thought of this, Quinn, but when the fuck is this happening? When is this play being put on? (laughs) Veronica came to town at the start of season one. And during that winter, the populace was dealing with Jason Blossom's death, and like the plot of the first season of Riverdale. But we are implying here that it was the very winter that this mono outbreak happened just in the middle of season one without affecting anything because they said it says last year.
1: It, yeah, it, it had to be sometime in season it one It had to be
0: after Veronica showed up because she's in the scene. It had to be after Betty and Jughead became a couple, because that's in the scene, which means that it is the first season of Riverdale. Might have been early in
1: the second season, because there's some Christmas stuff that comes up in season two.
0: What grade are these fuckers in? Tenth, I thought. At the start? Yeah, because Archie's 15. So they're
1: sophomores in season one... And season two, because it's just a continuation of the same school year. It's the same fucking year? Yeah, it picks up immediately. Season one ends on a cliffhanger, and then they pick it then up. Then
0: saying last year doesn't make any sense here. Well, okay, so is the Black Hood shit happening over the summer? No. Is that what's... No, no? it happens immediately
1: at the end of season 2. Oh yeah, there's Christmas. There's stuff. Christmas stuff is the mid-season break.
0: Christmas happens at mm-hmm. the mid-season of season 2. So, when she says last year, she must merely mean last year calendar year. Right. Same before school before the year. new years, which means that this lit- that
1: there was a play that was going on. And it was
0: a winter school play and Veronica was there, which means that this play of the Crucible and the outbreak of mononucleosis took place right as Riverdale went into filler mode for several episodes in season two, after the apparent end of the Black Hood saga, but not really, because they had the wrong guy. That's gotta be it. Like, it was during that. It was literally, but it would have been before Christmas. No, so it would have been- So it was actually, like, in the heat of the initial Black Hood killings. And um, I need to point out, wait a minute, when did Midge Clump get killed? She got killed at the end of the spring play. Okay. Okay. So what happened is they did a winter play that was the Crucible, even though it was the middle of the Black Hood killings, and, like, talk about going to parties, and, like, it just... This fucking scene is bullshit. Like, this didn't happen. It could not happen. It. There's no way that this is canon. No, like, the whole cast of the show didn't get enervated and totally sick for like weeks and weeks in the middle of the black hood killings i'm sorry that does not work holy shit it's so bad that was some fun detective work but let's talk about the detective work that's done in the scene awesome segue josie accuses reggie of making out with someone else because he gave her mono which they super super don't know is the starting point like this line of argument doesn't allow any patient zero to make sense if you follow it. No. Like if if the only way that mono spreads is by making out like what, did the first person make out with like a monkey or make out with God or something to start mononucleosis? Yeah, I don't I don't know. But anyway Everyone's accusing each other of being patient zero, but they have no fucking information to actually prove anything. And we unravel, like, an incredibly stupid story about Reggie and Veronica accidentally kissing each other at a party, at a costume party, which was during, I guess, now, now. What the fuck? It was right at the start of the production of the play. Except there were costumes of Romeo and Juliet in this story of the party where uh, Reggie and Veronica accidentally kissed each other. But... When one of the costumes got ruined in this story, Kevin got upset because his directorial career was in trouble because of a costume getting ruined. So have we changed what play is being done in this winter season in the middle of the text for no reason? Maybe they were
1: going to repurpose those costumes despite them not taking place at anything resembling the same
0: place or time period? Let's see. I'm I'm working I'm I'm trying to figure this out. uh... So Josie and Reggie are getting ready to make out, I guess. But then Moose spills a drink on Josie and ruins her costume. And Worry Wart director Kevin Keller took note of this tumble and took the opportunity to revel in the angst of it all. Have to clean the shirt immediately. My career is going to be over before it began. It's Romeo and Juliet costumes, but that's not the play that they're doing. Like, I I can't. None of it makes any sense. So Josie is taken to the laundry room to like deal with the costume and i guess the i guess the story is that reggie gets impatient and goes to the laundry room at which point it is dark in the laundry room and veronica who is also like dressed like or archie is also dressed as romeo for some fucking reason Yes, archie
1: and reggie are both dressed as romeo
0: and so reggie goes to the Laundry room looking for Josie. It's dark. Veronica's also dressed as Juliet because, like, he addressed, he's like, Oh, like, where is my Juliet? or some shit like that. My my fair Juliet, are you in there? And both Reggie and Veronica assume that the other person is a different person than they are. Because it so happens that the two couples are wearing the same couple's costume to this party that somehow has bearing on the production of The Crucible, despite the costumes being from Romeo and Juliet. And neither of them recognize one another by touch, by scent, by the fucking sound of Reggie's voice. And they just so happen to address each other by the name of their costumes instead of their actual names so that the kiss can happen.
1: There is frankly no way that this could have happened. It just...
0: No! Not only can this entire scenario not happen in the timeline of the show. Nothing about this this is plausible. This beat of plot with the mistaken kiss is complete garbage. It simply could not happen. A different person comes in, and maybe it's dim or whatever, but a different person comes in and speaks. And even after making out, you don't know that it's not the person that you thought it was.
1: I can understand- Because
0: they, in this moment when Cheryl is doing her, like, Poirot thing about who was kissing whom, Veronica realizes she accidentally kissed Reggie.
1: Right. So, it it doesn't make any sense. They, at least by the time they kissed, like, if you didn't notice their height differences, if you didn't notice the build differences, if you didn't notice the voice, if you didn't notice the scent, if you didn't notice that they felt different, by the time you kissed, you probably should have put together, like, this isn't the person that I'm supposed to be kissing- It is unbelievable.
0: And they go through this like 14 fucking, I mean, like probably, I don't know exactly how many pages it is. Like the entire like plot digression is 20.5 pages, 20.5 fucking pages. Like it's like 7% of the book is just this, but they realize after doing this huge detective shit about who kissed whom that it served no purpose. They acknowledge in the text that this got them no closer to knowing who patient zero was correct. We wasted your time, they announce through the text. What's weird
1: is we learned the one thing that is important for the other side of this flashback, but in the self-contained
0: narrative of this flashback, we've just had all of our time wasted. Yes, yeah, it's, it's complete fucking madness. Weatherby takes to the PA to announce that the outbreak is contained.
1: I don't know what happened! What, what does happened? that mean? We put you all in the gym, and then it's done. We contained it. You're free to go. It's okay
0: now. You can leave. <laughs> Just literally, the outbreak is contained are words that Ostow heard somewhere concerning diseases and just typed them. (laughs) That's the level we're at. It turns out the understudies intentionally infected the cups of the main cast, like drinking at a rehearsal, to to use bio-warfare to get their roles in the Crucible up on the stage. That's what actually happened. Uh, This 14-page reverie of Archie's ends, Archie processes additional Reggie jealousy, and the lights come back on. It was 20.5 pages from the point at which we started talking about Archie's jealousy towards Reggie to the point where it is possible for more plot to happen. It's wild. Also...
1: This has to have taken place at some point during Season 2. This was confirmed to be during the Black Hood outbreak because Ethel, whose blue and gold stories got bumped anytime Betty and Jughead thought they had a hotter scoop, the blue and gold wasn't introduced until Season 2.
0: Not to mention Archie says that, like, the thought of Reggie kissing Veronica makes him want to go all red circle vigilante again, and that notoriously horny video was in season two. So yes, it was the understudies. Yep, it's 20.5 pages that all it accomplishes is Archie has some jealousy feelings about Reggie and Veronica and is made uncomfortable by the comments that Reggie made at his because party. Because they
1: accidentally kissed one time. It suddenly ups the stakes. We did not need this.
0: Reggie was being a dickhead, and the thing he said was shitty, and it. It's fine for Archie to not like it. We were already there. We didn't need almost 21 pages of emotional discussion and flashbacks to build up to the fact that at one point these two characters accidentally kissed. And that somehow matters while they're trying to solve the murder of a kid that Archie is accused of. That whole flashback at most warranted a paragraph.
1: If you're going to decide that you need to justify Archie's feelings of, like, defensiveness or jealousy around what Reggie said, which I don't think you need to do because it just makes sense in a vacuum.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes perfect sense with what we already had and in fact with what we already had four times because we kept talking about that party over and over again holy shit just the defiance of this chapter the refusal to let the story happen (sighs) no story please we would like to do anything else forever i truly just can't the arc of this narrative is like the descent into a black hole Like, the closer you get, the longer it takes to move to the point where, like, from an outside perspective, you appear to never go there. Yeah. We can't actually breach this absolute event horizon of, like, there being a thing happening in the story. Nope. I did not think that we were going to do, like, a 30-plus page read this week, wherein they still have not actually meaningfully interacted with anything at Shadow Lake. No. What did we get out of that chapter that actually does anything? They got there... There was a scary thing on the porch. They disabled the alarm.
1: Unless there is something that comes out of the plot after the power comes
0: back on. Like if something has moved or developed or that power outage was... That like we needed that time to pass for, but still that doesn't justify the flashback in any way. Still at least most of the pages have still been wasted even even in that like very best case scenario that you're bringing up (sighs) oh yeah sorry folks this one like amused me less and pissed me off more (laughs) that's just the way the cookie crumbles i guess uh we'll be back next time with hopefully something happening but like betting against the show getting crazier I have decided that it is a fool's errand to bet on plot happening. Like, I am not going to assume that we have exhausted our ability to avoid things happening in the story. No, at this point, I'm expecting that they get up here, and then they basically get spooked
1: and have to turn around.
0: Yeah, something happens that just ejects them violently from this, and they just are like, ah, fuck it. I guess maybe Reggie's having another party. Yep, they ate, yeah. So bad, so bad.
1: We are oh, well. waiting for Godot over here.
0: We really are. I'm sure he's going to come soon, though. It's fine. Yeah, He'll be here any minute. Oh, God.
1: (sighs) Well, I regrettably have been Rob. And I disappointingly have been Quinn.
0: And we'll see you next time. Maybe there will be a story. Maybe there won't. Like, there will be a perfect, like, pie chart of story developments and us bitching. Like, the more of one there is, the less of the other there will be. The circle will be complete. Exactly. That's what you can count on. River do's and river don'ts. Pros and cons. Audi. Hey.